Well, good morning, girls and boys. Good to see you. Now, over the last few months, we've been turning to one book every time. But today we start a new study. We're going to be looking at the challenging questions of Christ. And that will take us to various places in the Gospels. And we're starting today in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, the chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark and the chapter 4. We're going to read some verses at the end of the chapter. Get down to the end of it. Chapter 4, the verse 34. 3, 4. And we read there, And the same day, when the even was come. So it's the end of a day. He saith unto them, that's the disciples, Let us pass over unto the other side. That's the other side of the Lake of Galilee. So he's getting into a boat, and they're going to sail across Galilee. And when they had sent away the multitude, people that had been listening, as he taught them by parables, he sends them away, dismisses them. We, it happens at the end of one of our services. The minister closes in prayer, and off we go, the home. Well, that's what's happening here. And they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. So some who had access to boats decided to follow him. It's a wonderful thing, you know, when people have such an interest in what the Lord is saying that after a meeting they don't go home, but they follow the preacher. Now that doesn't happen too often. But if you can get your hands on a book called the 59 Revival, It was written back in 1959, and it was about the revival in 1859. And the book was written by Dr. Ian Paisley, who now is in heaven. And in that book you have some wonderful accounts of what happened in our little province in 1859. And one of the incidents that he refers to is... What happened in a Presbyterian church, I think it was up in County Antrim, and at the end of the service, the minister closed with the word of prayer and dismissed the congregation. But nobody got up. Nobody left the church. And they gently said, Minister, please preach again. Preach again. Preach us another sermon. And so the minister, though he was weary, for he had been preaching Almost every night for quite some time, he turned in his Bible to another text and he preached again. And at the end of that, again he prayed and dismissed the congregation. But there was no real leaving of the church. And he said to the people, I am so weary, I must go home. And so he left the people sitting in the church and he headed to the manse which was almost next door. But he discovered as he left the church and headed for the manse, the people all followed him and gathered outside the manse and said, Please, preach to us one more sermon. Tell us some more about the Lord. And if I recall right, because I'm only thinking of this now, I didn't look it up and remind myself of the details, but if I'm not mistaken, he went to an upstairs window in the manse, and from there... He preached again. And after he finished preaching again, he dismissed the people 
And even then, though it was now late in the evening, they still were most reluctant to go home. Now that is what it is to have a hunger for the word of God. And here you have these little ships. And I can imagine some of them were little rowing boats. And when some who had these little ships saw the Saviour getting into the ship with the disciples, they began to follow him in the rowing boats and other sailing boats so that they might hear yet again some more of his teaching. Oh, boys and girls, may God send us a day when people come to God's house with joy and gladness because they have a hunger. Just the way when Mommy says, Dinner's ready, you come charging up to the table and jump into the seat because you're hungry and you want to eat. May the Lord send us days like that again. Verse 37, And there arose a great storm of wind. Even in the most precious of times, when the Lord is in the middle of us all, and we have a desire and a hunger to hear him, storms arise, storms arise, difficulties arise. We're not inclined to think that. We think when the Lord's in our midst, everything will be rosy. But no, storms arise. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. The water's coming out over the edge of the boat in which the Saviour was with his disciples, and it's filling it up. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. Isn't that amazing? Now there's a big contrast here between the Saviour and the disciples. Look at it. It says he was asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? There's panic among the disciples while the Lord was asleep. Do you remember that? The Saviour didn't have any panic. He wasn't disturbed or alarmed. He was sleeping. But the disciples were very, very alarmed and frightened out of their lives. They thought they were about to die. Drown. The ship was going to sink. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, So it says in verse 39, he rebuked the wind. Now he's turning to the disciples, and he's going to rebuke them. Why are ye so fearful? How is it? Ye have no faith. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, this is chapter 4 of Mark. It's at the beginning of Mark's record of the Saviour's doings. And it's very evident that the disciples are really only beginning to learn about the Saviour. How great he was. That's why they asked the question, What manner of man is this? They began to realize that the person they were following, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, he was no ordinary person. They were just beginning to learn this. Now you're young, you're learning, and I hope among the things that you're learning here in this school is about the Lord Jesus and learning what a wonderful Man, person, saviour, he is. Now as I said, our series is going to be 
challenging questions of Christ. And here's the first one we're going to be looking at. You find it there in verse 40. Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? That's what the Saviour asked. It's a double-barreled question. Two elements to it. Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? Now this incident comes at the end of a day in which the Saviour had been preaching much. Now, you mightn't think that preaching amounts to much work. You're looking at me and I'm just standing up here. And I'm talking to you. And you think, well that's not too hard. We gabble all the time and talk all the day long. Doesn't seem to take any effort. I but you're just opening your mouth and gabbling away really about nothing. There's no effort employed. You're just responding to what others are saying to you and so forth. But preaching's a little more than that. Preaching entails developing certain thoughts, bringing out certain truths. And the mind is working all the time directing the words that the preacher is employing. So it does take a little more effort and labor than just gossiping amongst ourselves. And the Savior had been preaching. And he was weary from his preaching. So you remember that when you think of the preacher and recognize that there's more to preaching than just standing up and talking. The Savior is weary. Let me tell you something about the Lord Jesus, boys and girls. He was God. But he was God manifested in the flesh. That is, his divine nature, which had existed for all eternity. There never was a time in which the Lord Jesus didn't exist. Never was a time. He always was. Now, you'll find that hard to grasp in your mind. Because you see, we're creatures of time. And eternal things are just really beyond us. We can't comprehend that. The Lord Jesus always existed. But there came a time when, according to the plan of redemption that had been devised way back in eternity, he took upon himself the form of a man. He took, and here's how we put it, he took into union with himself with his divine nature, human nature, human nature. And he became a man, God and man in one person. And the man part, if I might put it like that, the human nature of the Lord Jesus was subject to basically the same feelings as you. That's why he slept. His human nature got tired. Now his eternal nature never weary. God doesn't weary. God doesn't need to sleep. He slumbers not nor sleeps, the psalmist said. But the human nature of the Lord Jesus needed sleep, needed food. And so here at the end of this day, after a very busy day of preaching, the Savior is asleep in the vessel. And while he's sleeping, a storm springs up. And the boat is in danger of sinking. In danger of sinking. And the disciples... Seeing this, and seeing the Savior asleep, they rush up to him, and they shake him, I'm sure they shook him, and said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And they said that in such a fashion as to 
indicate their displeasure with him. They were annoyed with him. What are you doing sleeping or sinking? Don't you care that we're in danger of sinking? Now, boys and girls, the disciples were correct when they felt themselves in danger to go to the Lord Jesus. That's what you do when you're in danger. But the disciples were very wrong when they went to the Savior and spoke to him as they did and said what they said. They were not only wrong in the way they spoke to him. Terrorist are not that we perish. But they were also wrong in what they said, the words they employed. Terrorist thou not that we perish. There's a suggestion there. Don't you care about us? Now the Savior's response to that, and here he shows his kindness, boys and girls. He got up. You read in verse 39, it says, he arose. He didn't say anything. He had every right to say, who do you think you're talking to? He had a right to say that. He didn't say that. But in response to the fears that they were showing, he got up. He arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And when he had dealt with that which was causing them to be so frightened, then he turned to them and he said, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? That's a powerful question. A two-part question. And the first thing I want you to notice is this. Where there is no faith, where faith is lacking, it will show. It will show itself. The Savior saw their lack of faith. Why are ye so faithful and how is it ye have no faith? It was clear in the words and actions of the disciples that they lacked faith. Boys and girls, we may say, Oh yes, We believe God. But if that's not really true, it will show itself. We can put on a show of having faith. But where there's no faith, it will show itself. It will be seen, especially by God. And the Lord Jesus saw that there was no faith at that time in the hearts and minds of the disciples. It especially will show itself when it's flushed out like a rabbit startled from maybe where it's been hiding in the wind or in the grass when a dog comes along and it's frightened off it will run and there it is you can see it clear well where there's no faith there is that which will flush it out trials troubles they flush out our lack of faith and the disciples lack of faith was forced out of the winds and out of the grass and into the light for all to see when the storm came. That made their lack of faith very, very visible. And as they hastened up to the Lord and shook him and said what they did, their lack of faith was very visible indeed. As I say then, the lack of faith will show itself in the face of danger. True faith, true faith, when danger comes, remains calm. True faith, when danger comes, will be like the Lord Jesus. How did he react to the storm? He slept peacefully on the pillow. He had no fears or doubts. He knew that all was well. He knew that his heavenly Father was watching and that all was well. True faith brings us grace that enables us to calmly 
face the storm. Let me give you some proof of that. Here's a psalm you all know. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, in the verse 4, says this. This is David, rejoicing in the Lord. Verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Many Christians have read that verse and enjoyed what is said, but never took much time to think about, what is he talking about? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What does that mean? Well, remember how the psalm begins? The Lord is my shepherd. What does a shepherd carry? A staff, doesn't he? Well, do you know what the shepherd did with that staff many times? As he's leading his sheep, maybe one of them would begin to wander off a wee bit, and he'd reach around with his staff, and he'd give it a wee tap, and it would come back into line. Little boys need a wee tap with a staff now and then to bring them into line, and little girls as well. But it's a comfort to feel the staff of God bringing you back into line, making sure you don't go into danger. That's what mommy does, daddy does, when we're out. The hand will reach out and bring you back from danger. That's a comfort. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Oh, boys and girls, where there's faith, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil. It was John Wesley who was the founder of the Methodist movement to a great degree. And he said one time about those who were saved under his ministry, and there were thousands in England and further afield, he said one time about them dying. When it came to those dear old saints of God away back then, oh, nearly 300 years ago, he said, I think it was to his brother Charles, he said, you know, Charles... Our people die well. And like the psalmist, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Christians who have a strong faith can face death without any fear. Without any fear. But where faith begins to dwindle and shrink, it shows itself because we're full of fear. Like the disciples. Now the disciples did have faith. They were truly converted. But their faith had shrunk. And their lack of it showed itself in the way that they spoke to the Savior. I mentioned Psalm 23. I think I'll show you another little verse. This time it's in Psalm 27. And it says there in verse 3, Though an host, that's an army, should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Now that's faith speaking. In the midst of war, content and confident. But how different were these disciples? In the face of the storm, they were panicking and shouting at the Lord. Shouting at the Lord. Carest thou not that we perish? 
Now, for them to say that at that moment, their eyes were shut and blinded to God's love and mercy. For a moment, they were blinded to God's love and mercy. They couldn't see it. Don't you care? Don't you love us? That's what they said. Where's your love for us? They couldn't see it. Because that's what happens when your faith dwindles and shrinks. This was a most wicked suggestion, wasn't it? To say to God, don't you care for us? It's immeasurably wicked to say that to God. Immeasurably wicked. He who is love incarnate. He who is all love. Who deals only with us in love. That's how he deals with his people. Only in love. If he were to deal with us in any other manner than deal with us in love, we would be destroyed. If God at this moment were to deal with you in any manner other than in love, you would be cut off because you're a sinner. But God dealed with his people only in love. And his love took him to Calvary. Because he loved his people, he went to the cross and he took their sins and their sorrows on himself. And he said to his father, as it were, punish me, don't punish them. I was reading this morning where at the end of David's life he did a few foolish things. And one of the foolish things he did was he had the people of the nation, Israel, to be counted. Count all the men. Count all the soldiers that we have. Now God had forbidden that. But David in pride said, I wonder how many we have in the army. How many soldiers have we? Go out and count them. And Job, who was the commander of his army, said, I don't think you should do that. But David insisted, go out and count them. So Job went out and counted them. But to avoid counting them all and at least try to obey what God said, he didn't quite count all the soldiers. He came up with a figure of 1,300,000 soldiers. That's a brave army. And that's what little Israel had back then. No wonder they were such a mighty nation. But what he did offended God. And God said, I'm going to punish the land for what you did. He gave David a choice of the punishment. And David said, I wouldn't know which of those choices to choose. Instead, I'm just going to throw myself into the hands of God. Do unto us as it pleases you. And so the Lord smote them and judged the land. And 70,000 men died. And the Lord was coming to judge Jerusalem and smite the people of Jerusalem. And the Lord stopped the judgment there and stopped the angel from doing it. Stopped the angel from doing it. And David, seeing the angel about to judge Jerusalem, said, Lord, it is me who sinned. It's me who sinned. Not the people in Jerusalem. Judge me, Lord. Not the people in Jerusalem. And that is of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus on the cross. Judge me for the sins of my people. He didn't say like David, I have done the sinning and done the wrong. Because the Savior was spotless and sinless. But he still took upon himself the sins of his people. Oh, how wrong it would be to doubt the love of the Lord Jesus. And how wrong were these disciples and how sinful were these disciples to think as they did. For God so loved the world. This was a love not only to be found in the Lord Jesus, but it was found in the Father and it was found in the Spirit of God. 
God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Faith will never forget Calvary. And never forgetting Calvary, it will never question God's love. As Paul says in Romans 8 and 39, and here we'll end, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in the midst of a storm, you can be sure God's love is still there. Will you remember this question and think about it? How is it you have no faith? What about you today? Have you faith? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus to get to heaven? And if you're not, how is it? Having heard the message of the gospel, no matter how young you are, I probably would be right in saying, having heard it hundreds of times, how is it you have no faith? How is it you haven't yet come to believe what God says? Let's bow in prayer. Close your eyes. Lord, Write your word on every heart. Visit our little school today and overshadow it with thy presence. And those storms may come, Lord, may we never lose sight of Jesus and his wonderful love for us. Bless the boys and the girls, bless the teachers, bless the parents at home, and all that concerns our work here. We ask it in thy name. Amen. Amen.